Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia broadcast through the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue profiling the outstanding authors from Appalachia and how the connections to the region influence and impact their works. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us today, and I am so excited to have uh, author Cully Holderfield with us today to talk to us about his new book. It's called Hemlock Hollow. I'm so excited to have him on the program today because this is one of my favorite books that I've read so far in 2022. It is a book that really grabbed me from the very first page and held me all the way to the end. It's my favorite Appalachian book that I've read so far this year, and I'm so excited to have him on the program to talk about it. But to tell you a little bit about him and his background, he is a writer who learned to love storytelling basically on the porch of a cabin in the mountains of North Carolina. Cully graduated from UNC Chapel Hill, and then he took some time venturing to South America, to Africa, and to Europe. And when he's not writing or not working in a community development finance job, he spends his time hiking, paddling, and pondering in the outdoors. His short stories and poetry have appeared in a variety of publications, and Hemlock Hollow is his debut novel, and he lives in Durham, North Carolina. So, Cully Holderfield, welcome to Now Appalachia. I'm so excited to have you here, and I can't wait to talk to you about this terrific new book. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Elliot. It's great to be on. Uh, this book is is just terrific, and I know that when uh, I found out that it was coming out, and I found out that uh, it was in the advanced reader copy stage, and there were copies to be available to uh, to be read and to be previewed uh, for for. PR purposes and programs like this one. I couldn't wait to get my hands on it, and I was not disappointed at all. This was just a terrific story. But before we get into the story, I wanted to ask you first about your dedication, because you dedicate this book to mom and dad, and you write, without whom there would be no Hemlock Hollow. So tell us a little bit about your mom and dad, and what role did they play in Hemlock Hollow, and the real place, and also the book? Yeah, so so my my parents are uh, so my roots in Appalachia are not that deep. Um, my my mom's from Florida and my father's from Mississippi. But as a young girl, she uh, she she came to love uh, Western North Carolina by coming up to summer camps. And then when they got married, they moved to North Carolina. And shortly thereafter, they bought a cabin in Western North Carolina, Henderson County. And I spent my summers, much like Caroline, the main character in the novel, going up to that cabin and kind of just following my nose in the woods. And so um, they didn't call it Hemlock Hollow, but it became the inspiration for Hemlock Hollow down the line. So that's why I pinned that uh, that dedication. There really would be no, no book if there weren't for the place. So what are their thoughts and reactions to you having published this book? Oh, they're proud. Yeah, they've 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 always had my back. They've always supported me as a writer, even even when I told them for, you know, when I was in college, I was going to going to go out and, and write novels. They they never said, oh, don't you have wouldn't you rather be a, an attorney or a banker or whatever? They, they, they fully supported my my artistic endeavors. So I'm very thankful for that. 
Fantastic. That's terrific. Well, this book is just um, wonderful for so many different reasons, and we'll jump right into it here. And I I just love how the whole thing is constructed, but we have a female protagonist that we follow and that we meet early on in your book, and her name is Caroline McAllister. She's a college professor. She's a sort of a lifelong skeptic, sort of a glass is always half empty kind of person, uh, and she's had two terrible losses. She's lost her father, and she's also seen the dissolvement of her marriage. Um, talk to us a little bit a, about her and and the, the skeptical nature that she has, uh, how that kind of shapes her character, and and what we see from her as she's kind of trying to move on from these two losses of her father and her marriage. Yeah, so she's uh, so she's a professor of archaeoastronomy, um, and so she's sort of grown up. She's from Greensboro, North Carolina, and she's kind of grown up going to the cabin um, that her parents bought um, when, when, when she was young. And um, so she's her relationship to this this hollow is one of discovery. And so she goes out and she finds these these old remnants of, of, of prior inhabitants. She finds like bits and pieces of, of what becomes a still finds farming implements. And so that kind of forms her, her scientific mindset early on. And she, she, um, during the, the summer, she sits on the front porch of this cabin when the, when the rain comes in and she just reads these national geographics that her, her grandmother has, has given. And so she's exposed to, to Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall um, and kind of those become her heroes. And so she, she turns that interest into a, into a, a career um, and, and becomes this archaeoastronomer. And, and there's a, there's a, she, her mother passes away her senior year of, of high school. And so that really uh, forms her, her mother who, who, for whom this cabin was everything. And she, that kind of propels her away from the cabin at that point and into the, the broader world. And so she's out trying to, trying to uncover the, the mysteries of the universe in her own way. And so that's, that's that's her real passion is is and then she she inherits this cabin and she has to turn inward at that point and one of the ways that she does that is she discovers a journal in the attic after her father sort of bequeaths her this this cabin that you're talking about she finds this century-old journal in the attic and she starts reading it um and she's introduced to a character or we're introduced to a character through those writings uh, in that journal by the name of Carson Quinn. Tell us a little bit about Carson and, and who he is and why Caroline gets so enthralled in his life and his story. So Carson is a, is a boy, he's a 13 year old in 1886 when he starts to write this journal. His, his grandfather, Aurelius Quinn, gives him this journal. He's, he's, a, he's also kind of scientifically inclined and, and a wanderer of sorts. Um, and he, he, uh, he, he goes out into the, the hollows and the, and the, the mountains and, and, and is, is inquisitive, is a, is a, has a scientific mind. He, he likes to draw these you know, birds and tracks and, and trees that he, he puts in the journal that, that Caroline sees later. And, um, and he's kind of precocious, but he's also kind of a, uh, he, he's kind of a loner um, in a way. He's much more comfortable outside in nature than he is in, in school. He goes to Newton Academy in, in, uh, in Asheville. Um, his family's a little bit more well off than other, than other folks around. And so they, they, they're able to get him into Newton. And so he goes over the mountain 
through Fairview into Asheville to go to school, but he's not that he's much more comfortable out in the woods than he is there. No, very good. I love that the, the, the combination of the narration, I love that there are sections of the novel that read like, you know, a traditional novel. And then we have these moments of epistolary writing where we're almost reading a sort of a letter or a diary entry or a journal entry uh, inside of the journal itself that she finds in the attic. And I was trying to think of a, of a book that it reminded me of. And the only thing I could think of was the color purple uh, oh, wow. in terms of, in terms of how the, how that was done and how the storytelling is, is just so visual uh, as we're reading and as we're following along. So I wanted to ask you about, about writing those epistolary sections uh, uh-huh. in the novel. And in terms of constructing the story, when you decided to incorporate that, did you try another method, maybe try to, to work that in, uh, similar to the narrative that we see when Caroline is speaking? Or did you realize, well, you know, from the, from the get-go, I'm going to have these chapters where, you know, it's going to be like Caroline is reading from the journal itself and we're looking over her shoulder how did you determine when and where to put those epistolary sections because they're so powerful and we get insight into Carson so well there but I just wanted to know from a process standpoint how did you determine when and where to put those sections in the book well it it was it came about kind of organically over time organically meaning meaning I I I did it wrong several times before I figured that out Uh, so I had written a full manuscript the full first draft um none of which remains um and and i couldn't quite get to the story i wanted to tell and so then i I wrote the the journal separate from separate from caroline's section i i I, it just sort of came to me i had done all this research about western north carolina in this particular region and that research kind of fueled this and i figured out who Carson was. And he, he just spoke to me. I just sat down and he spoke to me through these, there's, he, he, he basically wrote this journal of his young life and it, it kept going. There's, I didn't include the entire part that I wrote. And then later, and then that still didn't work as a, as a narrative. It's, it was just too, too epistolary. It was just too much Carson. And it, there, there was a story there, but it, it wasn't the story still that I wanted to tell. And so it wasn't until Caroline showed up that I really figured out, hey, this is this this is the person who can tell this story the best, and and so she came around, and they're they're char- characters I know that I created, but to me they're they're people who I came to know in this process, and this was a book I worked on for a very long time, um, and through you know setting it aside and then coming back to it, and and so once Caroline showed up and she 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 showed up on the page, the book really came together, and so I. I wrote her section as a, in reference to the journal. Um, and so the journal would kind of inspire her section. I basically had her going through the process of, of the renovation of the cabin um, and, and being drawn into Carson's world that existed at time, at that point in time in the form of this journal. So it kind of, at that point, it just sort of wove itself together. Excellent. Very good. So you mentioned that this was a long time coming in terms of getting that final draft, but from the time you kind of conceived the idea to the time you set it down and came back to it, how long from sort of idea conception to the completed first draft, how much time did that take you? The, as it's, as it is now, or the, like the, so, so to be honest, I started working on this in 1998. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So the, 
and I, I, I had several times where I thought I was finished, um, uh, but it was really not until 2018 that I had a draft that, that was pretty much what we have now. Um, and so obviously I didn't work on it continuously over that time period. I would, I, I would leave it and come back to it, but each, you know, I would still be working on it if it weren't life, if they, if they wouldn't slap my hand. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist and I just, every time I read it, I'm like, oh, there's something else I'd rather do there. But it, it, um, it came together nicely. I think I, I'm, I'm pleased with it. Excellent. Very good. It's a terrific book. The title of the book is called Hemlock Hollow. Our guest today here on Now Appalachia is Cully Holderfield. He is the author uh, of this debut book. Uh, that will come out and be on sale December the 6th of 2022 from Regal House Publishing. And Cully, we'll come back to the book in just a second. But in looking uh, at your career as a writer, you've done not only this novel, Hemlock Hollow, but you've had some nonfiction published. Um, you've had some short fiction, some short stories published. So if, if we were to really pin you down and say, okay, Cully, you can only write in one more genre for the next five years. Would you stick with novels? Would you stick with nonfiction? Would you go back to short fiction if you only had to pick one? I know that's sort of like asking you to pick your favorite child or your favorite pet. But uh, if you had to pick one of those, if you could only work in one genre for the next extended period of time, do you have a favorite or do you have one that you like better than the others? I'd have to say novels. I really, I, I enjoy, I know that that's, that's probably anathema for a lot of, a lot of writers, um, but, but my pacing really fits a novel length manuscript. It's, it's, it's uh, with a short story, you really have to, you, every word counts and you really have to, it's, it's, it's hard for me to write a short story because there's, there, you're, you're aiming for this point in time and it's really easy to miss. And so I can write, a, I can probably spend as much time writing a short story as I would a novel, but it would be just this honing process, this continuous trying to get it and missing and getting it and missing. So with a novel though, I feel like it evolves over time and I can write a page um, a day and then and and kind of get to know it. I, I really like to, to sit and get to know these characters that that come alive on the page. And a lot of times, like I said, it's for me, it's like I'm kind of kind of channeling them in a way. It's it's sort of like they are there. And, and my job as a writer is to get out of the way and let them let them do what they're going to do. And I do notice that the more that I kind of try to impose my own literary will on them, the 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 worst the writing is so it's just best for me just to to figure out who they are and let them do the talking very well said very well said so who are some writers that influence you inspire you what are you reading recently tell us a little bit about that yeah so the writer so the first writer that really inspired me was was john irving um i when i was in in middle school i had written a story in the the for English class and the teacher had, had praised me and I thought that was great. Um, but I didn't realize you could actually be a writer um, until I read The World According to Garp. And so that, that novel just really opened my eyes to the, to the creative process and to the life of a novelist, which Garp was in, the, in that book. Um, that was, I read that obviously long ago. I mean, uh, my, my tastes have kind of broadened since then. I really like Barbara Kingsolver. Mm -hmm. um, Latin American authors like Isabel Allende. Um, recently, I, the most book, most recent book that I'm reading is is uh, Damnation Spring by Ash Davidson. Uh, obviously, a more recent um, book that's really well written, and it's it's sort of similar to Hemlock Hollow in that it's it's set in in this time, this sort of 
when, when history is dynamic, when people's relationship to the land is changing. Of course, that's in the 1970s and mine is sort of set in the 1880s, but it, it, um, it's, uh, I, I haven't finished it yet, but so far I'm enjoying it. Very good. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that John Irving is a writer who influenced you. I, I love John Irving. I love The World According to Garp. I think The Cider House Rules and A Prayer for Owen Meany are two of the best books I've ever read. Um, and and I, did a, I did a paper in graduate school a long time ago on Charles Dickens and John Irving because Irving was influenced heavily by Charles Dickens and his works and his themes. And I just feel like every time I read a John Irving novel or if I go back and reread a John Irving novel, I learn something new every time. And, and his ability to tell a story is just magnificent. Yeah. And I, I'm sad to say I did read something the other day where I saw something online where he's working on his last novel. And this is going to kind of be uh -huh. his last novel and he's going to retire uh, from writing, at least in that in that genre or in that vein. So we've got one more John Irving book to come, but uh, I'm sad to say that, uh, that 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 will be the last one. Um I want to ask you a little bit about about Appalachia. You mentioned earlier that that your Appalachian roots weren't weren't as deep uh, as maybe some other writers or some other writers that people may know of. Um, but I think you imbue Appalachia so well in Hemlock Hollow, and so I just want to ask you a question about that, about what you like about Appalachia, what you like about the region, the people, the culture, and and how that kind of influences your writing and your storytelling. Well, Appalachia was where I sort of like Caroline when I was a kid. Um, you know, I spent my my summers, my formative um, sort of explorations in Appalachia. And then when I was uh, 14, we moved from High Point, North Carolina to, to Asheville. So I, I, I graduated from Asheville High. Um, and one of my favorite things growing up was always to, to go backpacking and camping and spend time in the out of doors in the in Western North Carolina. And I just, when I'm away, I, I don't live there now, um, primarily just because my job is in Durham. Um, but, but when I'm away, I, I find myself missing the mountains. And the, I mean, it's, I, it sounds just like this, there's this romantic inclination in my, in my relationship to the mountains. But at the same time, they're, they're, you know, those hollows are dark places and they're, and they're, and they're hard to get out of for a lot of people. And being, I think seeing it from, sort of both an inside and outside perspective kind of helps me to, to really kind of kind of understand it maybe from both sides of, of, of the outsider and the, and the insider and kind of really, you know, I want to, I want to describe Appalachia honestly and, and completely. And there's so many tropes and so many cliches and, and uh, about Appalachia. And, and I grew up, you know, going down to these gift shops, sort of like in, in Chimney Rock, North Carolina, where you'd have these, you know, these these plays on, you know, the hillbilly and the, and all of these these uh, you know these these books that would have hillbilly slang in them. And I'm like, you know, I didn't know anybody that spoke that way, <laughs> and I, I knew people that spoke a lot of different ways, um, and, and people who came from a lot of different socioeconomic backgrounds, and they were all Appalachian. And um, so, kind of growing up with that, and then trying to 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 get at the history that's really rich there is sort of my goal and it's all of this is just for me trying to figure out my my relationship to the mountains um myself uh and that's that's why i write what i write we're speaking with cully holderfield here on now appalachia the title of his brand new novel is called hemlock hollow 
a terrific story. One of my, my favorite books I've read all year. It's the best Appalachian book I've read all year. So we want to talk a little bit more uh, about the book, Cully, in the time that we have remaining. And and I want to go back to, to Caroline and Carson. We were talking about them uh, a few minutes ago. And, and I love how the, the book kind of shifts because Caroline finds out as she sort of learns more and as we learn more about his life, and he kind of evolves from this kind, curious boy early on in her journal reading to someone who um, is is suspected of murdering his brother. Mm-hmm. And then Caroline kind of decides to go on this project, personal project, to try to uh, clear his name. Why does she feel so strongly about taking that on and and wanting to to go and, and clear the name of someone who she only knows and has only really gotten to know through this this diary or this journal? Why does she decide to make that decision to kind of try to exonerate him? I think of, I think that she sees herself in him some and the, the self that she sees in him is, is, is this, there's this boy and he's, he's discovered this hollow, the same hollow that where the cabin sits only it's w- well before the cabin is built and he falls in love with it. It's this kind of uh, idyllic hollow for him. There's a Creek, there are these huge hemlock trees and boulders and there's always kind of this breeze coming through and it's the same hollow that she falls in love with as a child. And there's kind of this love triangle at the heart of this novel between Caroline Carson and the hollow itself. And I think that that drives her to, to feel that someone who loves something as much as he loves this hollow would not be able to murder his brother. Very good. And not to give too much away, but Caroline kind of goes on her own sort of, um, self-relevatory experience as she's trying to exonerate him. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't want, don't want to ask a question that gives too much away, but um, what is that process like for her, given what she's dealing with, you know, with the loss of her father, the loss of her marriage, her, her career is kind of in a standstill. What, what does she gain kind of personally, not just from trying to exonerate him, uh, but 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 what is she kind of learning about herself, I guess, is what I want to know or your, your thoughts on that. What she's learning about herself as she kind of goes through this process of learning more about him and trying to clear his name. Yeah, so she's always been a driven. Um, she's an academic. She's a high achieving academic. She's kind of sacrificed a lot um, in order to achieve what she's achieved. And she's always forward looking and outward looking. Literally, she's looking at the stars. Right. And so this journal gets her. And gives her the opportunity for a pause and she's not looking for a pause really it's 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 sort of voice handed to her and she has to she she has to slow down and in the process of that she kind of has she's she's slowing down for the first time in in 25 years really and so this is forcing her to be inward looking for the first time in a very long time and she's trying she's sort of looking at Carson's life. And in Carson's life, she's seen some things. Um, Carson is in love with the girl next door, this, this young girl named Miranda. And um, he's, he's at odds with his brother in the, in the journal. And she's, she's seeing in Carson a lot of her own tendencies um, and, his, and his foibles. And so she's, she's is forcing her to kind of think about herself, though she's not really realizing that she's thinking about herself in the process. And, and so this is, this is, the first time really in, in her adult life that she's been put in this position. And I really enjoyed that part of the story too, Cully. I really enjoyed watching her have to go through that sort of transformation, having to look at things differently um, because I think she comes through it on the other side, maybe not a changed character, but um, 
that that's something that I see really with all of your characters uh, in in the book is they're all just so well-rounded and they're all so three-dimensional. Uh, and, and I love that we get that third dimension from her by the time we get to the end of the book. You know, you know, we see her grow and maybe not change completely, uh, mm-hmm. but her edges have been softened. I guess is maybe oh. another way uh, another way of, of putting that. And so she does have kind of these these moments where she has to change and adapt. You know, if she's going to be able if she's going to be able to move forward. Um, I wanted to ask you about it, a possibility of continuing this story. Have you given any thought to to maybe continuing this story, keeping Caroline around as a character, maybe in another book, or uh, is this something you feel like is going to be a self-contained novel, just be a standalone and, and then uh, maybe move on to something else? Yeah, interesting. You should ask that. Um, so I, I am at work on a, on a novel that's, that's um, related to this one. It's, but it's not Caroline um, who I'm, she's, she may, she may come back at some point in time, but I'm really focused on uh, a couple of characters that show up in Carson's journal uh, his his grandfather Aurelius um, is one of the main characters of the book that I'm working on right now, which is set during the Civil War in Western North Carolina. And Aurelius in in Hemlock Hollow is, he references this this secret order that's called the Red String Order, um, and that's a real historical organization that was that uh, came to be during the Civil War, and it was a group of anti-secessionist pro-Union. North Carolinians who worked behind sort of uh, in, in secret to, to disrupt the Confederacy and to oppose the Confederacy from within. Um, and so that was fascinating to me. And so I'm, I'm working on a novel that, that uh, is about that and set in, in Western North Carolina and some of the same, so literal, same literal terrain and some of the same characters show up in that. Excellent. Excellent. So how far along are you with that project? Well, I'm still writing the first draft. I'm a couple hundred pages in, so um, hopefully it won't take me 20 years to, to write that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Excellent. So, Cully, in our final moments with you here today on the program, if anybody wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about um, about your new book, uh, Hemlock Hollow, or if they want to reach out to you to find out more about your nonfiction pieces or your short fiction pieces, uh, how can they get in contact with you, first of all? And as we mentioned, the book doesn't come out until December 6th of 2022. But when it does become available, where can people get copies of your book? So so they can people can reach me on my website. That's the best way. It's uh, Cully Holderfield, C-U-L-L-E-Y-H-O-L-D-E-R-F-I-E-L-D.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at, at Cully Holderfield and um, uh, Twitter less so. Um, but, you know, if you DM me, I'll, I'll, I'll reply. Um, and the best place to buy them, uh, so the book is being published by Regal House Publishing, and right now you can pre-order through their website. Um, once the book is out um, in uh, December, I would love for you to buy it at your, your favorite independent bookstore or bookshop or IndieBound. Those are great places we need to support our, our independent bookstores. They're real treasures for, for the communities in which they, they sit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The title of the brand new novel by author Cully Holderfield is Hemlock Hollow. Uh, It is a simply wonderful story. Um, I got totally lost in it. It's beautifully written. It will grab you from the very first page and it will not let you go. It is absolutely the best Appalachian novel I've read in 2022. It's one of the best books I have read in all of 22 across genres. Absolutely loved it. And, and Cully, I know you spent a long time on it to get it just right. And I think you got it just right. It is a terrific book. Congratulations to you on it. And uh, as you keep writing and as you get that next book uh, done, 
uh, in, in sort of your series, or at least sort of uh, set in the same area, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So, so thanks so much for being with us today, and congrats again on your new book. Thanks so much, Elliot. I appreciate it. We want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to say a special shout out and a thank you to Pam Stack. She's the executive producer of this program and all the programs that you enjoy on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So much of what goes on behind the scenes makes these podcasts possible, and Pam takes care of a lot of that for us, and we appreciate it so very much. So special shout out and a thank you to her. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.